you have to figure out where their mind is at and how to get it back on track so that they believe they can do the show, so they're excited to do the show. I try to remind them, remember how much you wanted to do this when you were younger? Remember when you dreamed of being on stage, let's say, in the UK? Like, remember when you thought, oh my God, if I could get to this stadium, I will have made it. Because it's easy to forget sometimes when you're exhausted and tired, you forget that, oh yeah, this was my dream to do it because so much is going on around you. So that's part of the lesson too, just finding that joy, rekindling that original flame that was so exciting to them. And once they can do that, once you can help them do that, boom, it's like all of a sudden they're on the road, they're on the path. Even if you're super into music, you probably aren't familiar with the name Eric Vitro. However, you probably are familiar with his students, singers like John Legend, Katy Perry, Pink, Jason Derulo, Leah Michelle, Demi Lovato, Vanessa Hudgens, and Ariana Grande. Vitro is very much the vocal coach to the stars, and those names I just listed are barely scratching the surface of the incredible recording artists and Hollywood stars that he's worked with. Like, it's ridiculous. Seriously, you gotta check out his website. I'll link it in the show notes. He's that fascinating type of Hollywood professional who he's not trying to be famous he's not trying to get himself out there he just does this one thing exceptionally well and as a result he works with everybody Vitro has just launched a new podcast. It's called Backstage Pass with Eric Vitro. On each episode, he talks with one of his students about the voice, their vocal practice, the work of being a professional singer. He's already done episodes with Ariana Grande, Shawn Mendes, and John Legend. They're all really cool. It's a great show. I, I totally think you should check it out. The folks at this podcast network reached out and they were like, hey, do you want to have this guy come on your show? I took one look at his website and I was like, yes, um, I would definitely like to have this guy on the show. So we hopped on Zoom last week and we had a chat about his work as a vocal coach, the method, diet, and mental work required to be a singer, and a whole lot more. It was a super fun chat. It was striking just what a thoughtful and supportive guy he is. I think you'll pick this up immediately, but you can definitely see why he'd be a great vocal coach. At any rate, it was a super fun conversation, and I hope that you enjoy it. Let's get into it. Eric Vitro, welcome to Strong Songs. Thank you, Kirk. I am very happy to have you here. It is pretty wild, man. Ever since I looked at the page of your clients, it's just it just goes and goes and goes. It's like every single famous person who's ever sung a song in the last 20 years or something. It just by the time I was on the third page and like Amy Adams, I was just like, what is happening? <laughs> so I guess the first thing I want to ask you is just how did you become a voice teacher and then how did you go from being a voice teacher to being the guy who is just the call for every single A-list person who wants to sing something? Well, thanks so much. I don't think it's every single person. It but feels like you. every person. <laughs> it, it feels exhausting like every person. I will say that. <laughs> you know, I've told this story before. You know, when I was in grade school, since I could play the piano, I ended up playing the piano for kids to sing. Star Spangled Banner, things like that in the morning. And then I started teaching kids songs. And then I even started bringing some of the kids home with me because oh, wow. they'd want to learn a song for some reason. So truthfully, there has I've never done anything else. It's what I've done my whole life. My cousin was into singing, so I would work with her. I took singing lessons. Then I would take everything I learned from my singing lesson and tell her. Wow. So I would use it on huh. her. She always you know, says, remember, I was your first. And... Um, <laughs> And then even when I went to college, when my first school, the main school I was at, NYU in, in New York, mm -hmm. you know, 
that was the same thing. Even those kids who we all had voice teachers there, but they would ask me on the side to work with them, maybe to learn a harder song or whatever. So then I would go, they'd come to my apartment, I'd work with them, or we'd go into one of the practice rooms. And so it just kept going on and on and on. As a matter of fact, one girl, I used to go to her house, and then I'd have dinner with her family. She had this spectacular apartment in Manhattan. Her father was a very successful and famous psychiatrist. She had a baby grand piano in her bedroom. Oh, man. It was amazing. And so one day, someone else at NYU said, um, hey, you know, I'd love you to help me a little bit. I, I I can't give you dinner, but I'll, I'll pay you. And I was like, give me dinner. <laughs> and they said, well, yeah, Amy says she makes dinner for you. And I was like, I didn't know she thought she was paying me that way. Oh, like I funny. was just doing it. She was my <laughs> friend and I loved her and she was very talented. So then I started doing it even at NYU. I just started picking up clients. So I was actually making money. It was like a side hustle that I didn't even set out to do, but it was just something fun that I enjoyed. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, why not make a little bit of money doing this? And it just escalated. Yeah, it's fascinating that you were like a born accompanist. You never, you always wanted to be helping people from from even when you were little. That's that's very admirable. Well, you know, you you. I think sometimes you learn something when you're younger. You get praise for something, and I got some attention and praise for it. And also, I think there was one kid in particular in grade school who I really bonded with over the fact that I taught him some songs to sing. And he was not a singer. He never was going to use that for anything. He was it was like the, the athlete of the class, let's mm-hmm. say. But it kind of bonded us in a way. And I thought, wow, that is a really great thing that I have this skill or talent, you know, that that is able to give someone something that makes them happy. And then I now have this bond with them. And that has just continued to this day, you know. So it's makes me really happy. I love doing it. Like, I love doing it. It is an interesting, like, collaborative relationship that can kind of create a bond with a voice coach. The Just that you spend so much time in this kind of very vulnerable place working on very specific stuff. I would imagine that a lot of the people that you work with come in pretty fully formed as artists, or at least some of them do, in terms of their sound and their technique. But I'd imagine you also work with some people on, like, specific aesthetic stuff like how do they want to sing do they want to be breathy do they want to be light do they want to be strong how do you approach that process of helping them find the specific like aesthetic style of their singing yeah well going back to what you first started saying it's a mix of all of that because some of these kids i've started with when they were really young that's true ariana grande sean was pretty young camila cabello had never had lessons before she had just entered the group fifth harmony you know so a lot of them i've worked with from the time they were really young there were some other kids i started with when they were nine years old and so i've seen them go through an evolution and so what i try to do is teach them how to sing with the most healthy possible placement they can get in, first of all, and then help them to enhance their voice so they can sing as high as they possibly can, as low as they can, or their dynamic range, as loud as they can, as soft as they can, you know? And then I try to encourage them, how can they really get into singing the lyrics so that when someone listens to them, they feel it, they really Mm -hmm. get the lyric, they understand the lyrics so that it's when they are singing, it's not about technique. I feel like if someone has the most perfect technique and they're paying so much attention to that, <laughs> it just loses its heart. And so I really encourage them, let's get it into your muscle memory so you know what you're doing, so it's in your subconscious, but then I don't want you to think about it when you're performing. And so then also, you know, when these people, like it's happened quite a few times, they'll get a record deal 
and they're singing a certain way. They get the record deal, but then they start working with different producers. And it's always kind of the same thing. Those first couple songs were like, oh, this is amazing. This is great. Then they might work another with another producer and they go, oh, wait a minute. I like this sound. All right, this is what I want to do. Mm. And then they work with another one. And then eventually one will really stick. One will really hit and everybody knows it. The artist the record label, the manager, everybody Mm -hmm. gets it like this is the sound that's going to work. And sometimes that could mean they've, they've recorded 25, it could be 50 songs that are now songs no one will ever hear because it was an evolution to get where they're going. So I try to stay as versatile as I can as they're making that evolution and go, oh, well, if you're going to do this, then we need to warm up a little bit differently or this is what we need to work on a little bit more. (laughs) That makes sense. So that you've definitely worked with kids like you know, who are on the Disney Channel or who are kids and really Many. like help them develop from the beginning. You've also worked with some celebrities who I would imagine are like actors who want to sing in a film and don't do a lot of singing. How is that process different when you're approaching someone who's like, you know, an adult who has maybe sung a little but isn't a professional singer? Yeah. For quite a few years, I kind of had this reputation of uh, many years ago of working or being able to help actors who didn't mm-hmm. sing often or fixer, maybe never sang again. Yeah. And I have to say it was a a beautiful period in my life because, and I still do it. I mean, I just did it recently, but I was doing it a lot then. And what was so great about it is people in that position are just so grateful you're helping them and you're helping them sometimes overcome, you know, uh, some roadblocks in their mind of things that they just can't get over. Like, well, I'm not a singer. I can't sing. I was told I can't sing. I can't mm-hmm. believe I have to do this. I didn't know this was going to happen. You know, so sometimes you have that, or sometimes you have the ones who go, I've always wanted to do this. I'm so excited. But what I try to do is then just make them feel as comfortable as they can and make them understand that it's not compartmentalized. It's not like you're an actor here and a singer there and whatever. We're going to bring it all together. We're going to take all your life experience and put that into the music because that's what's going to make each person special. Some of the biggest Broadway stars, you know, in history, the iconic roles like Rex Harrison doing uh, My Fair Lady or Richard Burton doing Camelot or whatever, those those weren't singer singers. Those were people who almost talk sing a lot of it, but we loved how they did it. Robert Preston doing The Music Man who could be better than that, you know? So I try to get them to bring all of their life experience into it. And then I just go through all the vocal exercises, showing them how to breathe, how to best place their voice. And little by little, we usually get them to a place where they actually sound really good. Yeah, I really found this partly from podcasting and from taking voice lessons for the past few years that you use your voice all the time. Everyone uses their voice all the time, whether or not they're singing. It's such a part of just being a human being and communicating, assuming you know you have the use of your voice. And that work, like the work of actually getting in touch with it, doesn't even have to relate to singing, even though obviously it can. You just kind of have to get people to sing. What is the number one challenge that you encounter most commonly with, with singers, especially professionals who are singing all the time? Well, if it's someone that has been singing a long time that might have bad habits, though bad habits are harder to break than instilling good habits in people who have never sung. What are some examples of bad habits? Shallow breathing, gasping through your mouth so you breathe loudly Mm -hmm. and you dry Mm -hmm. out your throat. Um, That would be a big one. Uh, 
sticking your chin up and tensing your neck by looking up or sticking your chin out when you're singing. That's mm-hmm. a hard one to break people up. Some people like to do it because they feel like it's dramatic with the microphone, but yes, it really look. tenses up their neck. So that's one. There's all sorts of things that you have to start breaking it up. So I just try to do everything I can to dissolve all of the negative and bad habits and then instill the good habits. Hmm. When you're like, so you're on call for um, a lot of musicians. You talked to Ariana Grande on your first episode about how she'll just, you know, call you in the middle of the night when she's on tour in Tokyo or something and say, look, I need help. You know, I've got to do another show. And I'm well, this is the thing. It's I don't want to I don't want to mischaracterize how that goes. She never calls and says, I need help. What it is, is we plan it ahead. Oh, okay. I know where she's going to be. And I'll get a whole list of where she's going to be on tour, what time she goes on. So if she's going on at nine, I know we're going to warm up at eight and they'll have it in the schedule. Mm -hmm. So I plan that out ahead. And then sometimes if, you know, there's been times when it's like four, five, six people can be on tour. So then I print out all of the schedules. (laughs) I put them all out on the floor Uh or on the table and I start going through, uh uh-oh, can I adjust this person a little further ahead? Can I adjust this person a little bit behind? You just never know how they're going to clash. And that's the hardest part about my job is the scheduling. Just the scheduling. And you do that all yourself? I do it all myself. It's wow. impossible to have anybody do it. It's no, right. I, I can imagine. Possible. So you're just like at the back computer there running people through warmups all around the world in different time zones just for multiple hours each day? Yeah, all over the place. It can be huh. in one day I can work with people in five different countries. That is but really I just, cool. I just go through the whole thing and I'll I'll know the people who I can say, hey, would you be okay doing a half an hour earlier? Or mm-hmm. would you be okay cutting it down to 45 minutes instead of an hour? How about we do 45 minutes? Then I say to the other person, how about we go 15 minutes earlier and we do 30 minutes? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But no assistant can do that. You have to really do that yourself. Right, you need to be right, pretty flexible. Yeah, so with Ariana, she's never called and said, I need help. She'll, we just plan it all ahead. I mean, there's been times when she'll say, hey, do you have any time today? Mm-hmm. You know, that could happen. And But most of the time with most of the people, it's pretty well planned out. Sometimes last minute, day before. But, you know, when they're on tour, it is very easy to schedule. It's the other things that are hard because things pop up for them. Got it. So when someone's in a situation like that, like say you're doing a warm-up before a show, they've been on tour, they're working pretty hard. If they're in a kind of a bad place, maybe they're sick or maybe they just overdid it the night before, you're in a kind of a break glass in case of emergency situation, what's your kind of go-to solution for that in terms of remedies and exercises? How do you get someone out of that when they're stuck? Yeah, there's no one answer to that because it's so individual. But I'll give you an example. Like sometimes people might come in kind of talking in the back of their throat. Mm-hmm. They're not really supporting. They, And I, I can recognize right away, are they hoarse or is their placement just off? And a lot mm-hmm. of times it's just their placement. They're tired. They're kind of talking like this. Oh, yeah. They're not really supporting. Or they're slumping back in their chair. And so I go, we have to bring your placement forward. So I might just start with something as simple as going, mm-hmm, or just going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, me, mm-hmm. me. That really pulls it forward up into the front part of their mouth. And all of a sudden, a lot of times people go, oh, I'm not that hoarse. I thought I was more hoarse than I was. Hmm. I'm really not that bad, you know? And then we go from there warming up. So I just have to listen really carefully to what I'm hearing. And then, of course, also what they're saying. Now, sometimes I'll go into, what did you have to eat last night? And, you know, if it involved... Alcohol, spicy foods, carbonated beverages, 
too much tomato salt, whatever. There are certain things that I go, oh, okay, now that's partly what's causing it right there. You know what I mean? But mm-hmm. I might say, well, you need to be more hydrated. Make sure you do a personal steamer. Sometimes I'll say, hey, I'm going to hang up and I'll call you back in six minutes and you just sit there with a personal steamer. Sometimes I'll say, let's vocalize while you're breathing in the personal mm. steamer. You know, things like that. So I just try to figure out right on the spot what it is the person needs at that moment. Sometimes they're just uptight or tense. And it's just then that lesson is all about loosening them up, freeing them up. And Sean talks a lot about that. Like sometimes he'll just meditate for five minutes in the middle of a lesson. Yeah, he's a real meditator, huh? He is after years of me trying to get him to do it. And Mm -hmm. he would say, no, I can't do this. I'm too, you know, whatever. But yeah, now he loves it. There really is that kind of... um mindfulness part of vocal practice that is almost like meditating or doing yoga. Like you really have to get in touch with your body. And sometimes it's just as simple as that. Like you're, you know, in a weird place, you're sleeping weird hours and you're just totally out of touch with your physical self. Absolutely. And the other thing is the mindfulness really, it carries it into what is your attitude towards what is it I can accomplish or what is it I need to accomplish? And that's something that, sometimes people's minds are a little off kilter, whether they had a bad day. You never know. They could have had a fight with their significant other or they're mad at their manager because of something happened or someone wrote something. Tours are stressful, right? Yeah. Yeah, unkind. So you have to figure out where their mind is at and how to get it back on track so that they believe they can do the show. So they're excited to do the show. I try to remind them, Remember how much you wanted to do this when you were younger. (laughs) Remember when you dreamed of being on stage, let's say, in the UK. Remember when you thought, oh, my God, if I could get to this stadium, I will have made it. Because it's easy to forget sometimes when you're exhausted and tired. You forget that, oh, yeah, this was my dream Mm -hmm. to do it. Because so much is going on around you. So that's part of the lesson, too, just finding that joy, rekindling that original flame that was so exciting to them. And once they can do that, once you can help them do that, boom, it's like all of a sudden they're on the road. They're on the path. It's like the coaching part of voice coaching. You just Your website describes you as a voice teacher and a voice coach. What mm-hmm. do you think of the difference between those two things? Well, I, I think technically people might think a voice teacher really works just on vocal exercises, mm-hmm. getting, you know, helping someone develop their voice. And a vocal coach, I believe most people would think of as someone who helps them on songs, interpreting songs, getting the songs across, making the song easier for them to sing. I really mm-hmm. feel like they're they're one in the same, or sure. they should be one in the same for the most part. But yeah, then I go on with the whole idea of coaching, it becomes a bit of a life coaching as well. Because like I said, your mental state and where you're at, what you eat, how much sleep you get, all of those things, they contribute to you having a great performance or a bad performance. They really do. People don't realize how hard that is. And, you know, I've heard people say, oh, well, they're they're a professional. They should be able to do it. And I'm like, they're a human being. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah, they're a professional, but they're human. And as humans, we have feelings and things happen to us, good and bad. And so all so much of my time is spent on really trying to get someone excited about getting out on stage and doing it. And by the way, I don't have to do that all the time. Most of these people love doing it and they're excited to do it. But I'm saying that is a component of it. Got it. Yeah. It's funny. The the more I've gotten in touch with my voice, the more I've become aware of food and how 
how much you have to pay attention to what you're eating if you really need, like, especially if you were going to be on a huge tour playing, you know, for thousands of people every night, you'd need to control your diet so closely. And the thing that sucks is whenever I'm having trouble with my voice or, you know, looking up, well, what's going on? Like, why am I so phlegmy? Why am I so stuck? It's always because I eat a bunch of stuff that I like. Like, it's always, <laughs> you can't have coffee, alcohol, chocolate, tomato sauce. Like, it's this list of things that are delicious. I'm like, so am I just supposed to eat unseasoned beans and like drink water do you do you think there's a sort of an austerity problem sometimes with singing where people just have to just eat bland food well ironically i did almost everything you said on the bad list today um i had a lot of coffee because <laughs> i had no sleep last night and yeah. i was exhausted i put cream in it which is bad because it's causing a lot of phlegm and gunk um yeah i had something spicy because i was just so in the mood for that at lunch sure. Um, here's the thing. So I'll send you a list, by the way, of the good and bad. I would love um, that. And here's the thing on the bad list. There's so many things on there and some of them are actually healthy things like citrus fruit is very mm -hmm. healthy. What I always say to people is this, when they get the list, their eyes widen and I know what they're <laughs> thinking immediately. Like, I'm not going to do this. <laughs> uh, how can I possibly do this? What I say is this, try not to overdo any one thing for some People, they mm. love spicy. So they'll get on a kick where they put hot sauce on everything because they love it. And I say, that's not a good thing to do. You're going to really affect your voice. Or they put a lot of ground pepper and that can get caught in your throat. And that mm -hmm. and then you're coughing or clearing your throat, trying to get rid of it. That can affect you. So don't overdo anything on the negative list. Or if you are going out to dinner with friends or, or any time of the day, try not to combine three or four or five of the things that are on the bad list. So for example, let's say you're going to have one glass of wine. Don't also have coffee. For sure, don't have a Red Bull. Um, <laughs> please don't write to me. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not against Red Bull. I just don't want anyone to drink it when they're singing. Yeah. Um, don't have carbonated water because the bubbles, you know, can affect you, bring up the stomach acids. So don't combine four of those things from the negative list. So you can have the one that you want the most. Some people go, I just have to have my cup of coffee. And I go, fine, have your cup of coffee, but have it with food so it gets absorbed. So it's not just the coffee in your stomach. And But don't have three cups, have one, one and mm -hmm. a half maybe. Try doing that. So you get some of what you want. You're just not overdoing it, you know? And I think that's kind of the key. But then there's some really good things on the healthy acid reflux diet, you know, chicken, salad, ginger. There's a lot of good mm -hmm. things on there too that people can enjoy. That's true. You can still have a good diet. It doesn't have to just be unseasoned beans. Yeah. And I'm not <laughs> saying every day of your life, but I'm saying when it counts, right. when it's important, you know, you're going to do the Tonight Show, you're going to do the Corden Show, you're going to do the Grammys, the Oscars, whatever, then that's when you really want to be strict. Would you say the time delay on that is like the day before the performance is when you want to eat, you want to avoid the too much of the dangerous stuff? Yes. And the bigger the show, the longer period of time you want to avoid. <laughs> that seems fair. So if it's the Grammys or the Oscars, I'd say give yourself a couple of days of really careful right, right. eating, you know, not eating late at night, mm -hmm. staying hydrated, you know. And, and this is the thing that your viewers can't see my hands, but I'm like, you know, the balance, mm -hmm. uh, the, balance is the balance of scales. I always say to people with the balance of scales, career a lot of caffeine, <laughs> career, really spicy food and a drink. Like, what do you want more? 
you know, and when you start. <laughs> Sometimes the answer is caffeine. <laughs> no, no, it is not, Kirk. <laughs> I mean, when you really come down to think about it that way, it does help to change people's minds. And people have said to me, wow, when you put it that way, you're right. My career no, yeah, is yeah. my first love and it's what I want more than anything. And I owe it to my fans to be the best I can be. And so it's not really, I'm not giving up that much not to have a certain thing tonight before I go on stage. Right. No, that's a good way to think of it. Um, there's a lot of fear, I think, when people are learning how to sing around vocal damage, just because there's so much discussion of voice nodules and permanent damage and terrifying voice surgery that some very successful singers have had to have. How do you navigate that fear, given that it's kind of justified, given that you can hurt yourself singing in a way that you maybe can't playing saxophone or playing guitar quite as easily, there is a kind of a risk, but also that fear can lead to tension, which can actually increase the chance that you're going to sing with bad technique. Like there's kind of a vicious cycle people can get into as well. How do you navigate that without totally dismissing it? Well, I think the most important thing to always remember is if it doesn't feel comfortable, if it feels like it hurts, you're doing something wrong. Mm -hmm. You know, Brute force can help me push a piano across the room, right? <laughs> Brute force is not going to get out your high notes. It's just not. And if it's feeling uncomfortable in any way, if you feel like you're straining, then you are straining and you shouldn't continue it. You know, almost any vocal exercise can be helpful and good, but almost any vocal exercise can it can hurt you if it's not done correctly. Mm -hmm. And by correctly, I mean supporting it correctly, keeping the right muscles relaxed, keeping your jaw relaxed, keeping your neck muscles relaxed, keeping your tongue relaxed so it's not tense or pulled back in your throat, um, making sure the placement is good so you're not singing from the back of your throat. You have to always just make sure it feels good. If you sing for a short amount of time and you're hoarse, you're doing something wrong. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I know that people will say to me, oh, well, I was told that it's like working out. I'm going to feel sore after. And I always go, no, that's wrong. I'm sorry. I don't want to contradict someone's teacher. And I don't believe in doing that. But when I hear that, then I have to speak up and go, no, that's absolutely wrong. Incorrect. You sh it's not like that. We're not tearing that muscle down to build it up. We're, we don't want you to, you know. Now, yes, there have been times that people talk about when they sang a lot and they were getting tired, but they kept singing, they did build up over the tour and got stronger and whatever. So that is possible. But for the most part, the number one thing is it should feel good. It should not feel bad. So that's what I would start with. Yeah, that's good advice. I've definitely found that, especially over the past year, as I've been sort of finding a better placement and working on, you know, relaxing that I used to practice and I would have good days and bad days. And on the good days, I would be able to like belt really high and like practice a whole bunch of stuff and really sound amazing. It'd feel really good. It wouldn't, you know, there'd be no discomfort or anything. And afterward, I'd feel good. And then other days, I'd feel really tired. And I would just think, oh, well, I'm tired. You know, I guess I'm supposed to be tired because like you said, I'm, I'm kind of working out, right? So a little bit of soreness is to be yeah. expected. I, I mean, if you haven't had any sleep, if you had a fight with somebody and you're screaming and yelling, if this, 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 or this happen, and you can relate it to that, then yes, that's probably why, you know, maybe your voice is feeling tired. But if it had to do with your singing or speaking, then you right. did something wrong. You see what right. I mean? Oh, yeah, and, for sure. And the other thing I say is sometimes we have to readjust 
what do we think of as a good practice session? So for example, some days you might just not be able to get as high. Um, but what I would say is, let's say you're doing a simple like, me, 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 something like that. Mm-hmm. So I would say if you go, me, 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 and you go, mm, it doesn't feel as good as it normally does. Oh, well, don't keep going. Do that one over and over and try to pinpoint is it because I'm tense? Oh, let me relax my shoulders. Me, 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 me. Oh, maybe my jaw was tight. Oh, let me do it with my jaw more relaxed. Me, 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 me. Figure out where it is and then start going up by half steps as you sing higher. And then let's say you get to a certain note. I'm just going to throw out an, an E, uh, like a, a, a above a, a middle C. Let's say, oh, that E normally feels so easy. Today it feels kind of tight. Then don't keep going. Maybe go down mm-hmm. a half step. Work it again, trying to figure out, maybe I wasn't giving enough breath support. Let me try that. So that your practice session becomes mindful. If you're just going through them by rote, if you're just going through them because you were told to go through them and not paying attention to what's happening, that is not going to help you. That is not going to make you better. Yeah, I found that. And also, actually, for me, it's been moving to head voice, like really warming up in head voice. I like do counter tenor stuff every morning, which has been really huge. And it's helped me find like basically I've found now that whenever I sing, I feel better afterward and I'm actually ready to go record a podcast or something rather than feeling tired, which what you were saying was making me think of that. Um, The idea that you should feel kind of renewed by vocal practice. And then over time, it kind of strengthens gradually. Um, yeah. I want to talk a little about placement because that's been something I've been fascinated by. You've mentioned it a few times when we've been talking. The idea that, you know, you're, you can put your voice in a different place. And I, I've found that just it makes such a big difference even for speaking, for singing, for everything. How do you think of placement and how does it differ for you from resonance? Or do you, is there a difference between the two things? Well, you know, here's the thing, too, so, uh, that I always try to make clear is that when I talk about placement, I don't want anyone to get the idea that I'm talking about one specific place and you can't deviate from that place because that's right. just not how w- life works. People want to sing with different colors, different sounds, different tones, all of that. So there is always going to be a little bit of leeway here and there. There's a moving in and out. But I try to start with what I hear with someone's voice as being the clearest, healthiest, easiest place for them to sing from. So that's why I was saying, even when we do that, mm-hmm, me, me, trying mm-hmm. to find, sometimes we just do speaking things and then some slides. He, I won't go further until I know they're in a good spot and it feels comfortable. And I'll ask them, how does that feel? You know, maybe even on scale to one to 10. Does that feel your best or your worst or where in the middle? If it's in the middle, then why continue going? Let's get it better. (laughs) And um, so then we start there. Then we can start working up and down the range and all of that. Then we can start working on the dynamic changes or runs and riffs for flexibility. But you've got to find that really healthy, great placement where it feels comfortable and sounds good, sounds clear. And it's usually then going to put them in their best what should I say? Uh, it, it will help them sing on pitch better when it's in a good placement. Because mm-hmm. sometimes placement can throw it out of tune, you know, make you sound a little off pitch. Even if it's not your ear, if your placement isn't right or you're dragging too much of your chest voice up too high, it could start sounding flat, right? So we yeah. try to make sure it's all in the right placement. Then that to me is like the foundation of a house. You know, you build the house and you make a strong foundation. 
what you put on the walls then is more decoration. So you might just paint the walls or you could stucco the walls. You could put (laughs) wallpaper on the walls or faux paint the walls. Mm -hmm. You know, there's so many different treatments you can use on the walls. You know, you can wax them, you know, with that beautiful technique. But you've got to have a strong foundation and then you can move from there. But if you don't start with that good foundation, then... It's like it's like on sand. It's like trying to build a house on sand, shifting ground. You can't do it. And that's when you have the good and bad days. And I always say, when someone says to me, well, on a good day, I can hit a B flat. <laughs> I go, well, that's rarely, really unfortunate because what happens if the Grammys are on a bad day? Right, yes. What are you going to do? Say, oh, sorry, you guys. That's not a good day for me. Mm-hmm. You just, every day has to be a good day. You have to be able to know how to get to the place where you can sing that B flat or C or whatever it is. So you, it sounds like you start people warming up and they're just sort of really middle chest resonance-ish and then slowly build it up? Well, no, I get them into that placement with their speaking voice. Then we start doing slides up and down. And then I usually, not always, but I usually of like course. to start most lessons in a head voice oh, or in a head falsetto. Voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That makes sense. Not everybody, but I would say 85% of people that works for. Yeah. How do you approach the mixed voice and how do you think of it? And actually, how would you explain the, the concept of mix to someone who doesn't know what it is? Well, I guess the easiest way is to say you've got the normal speaking voice that you speak in all day long. That's Mm -hmm. my, you know, lower voice. Let's just go with that from a lower voice. You could say chest voice. It came from the idea that when you were singing in your chest voice, you could feel some vibration down here. Mm -hmm. But I don't like people to get too caught up with that kind of thinking. I just explain it simply. You've got that voice. Then you got this voice, you know, up there. (laughs) Woo, 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 right? Mm -hmm. And then you've got this middle area that is quite often by most voice teachers called the passaggio, which is the Italian word for passage. You're passing from one area to the other. And that voice is where you want to blend the two voices together. And it's almost like if you think of if you have dark blue paint, like navy blue paint and white paint, you could put a few drops of the dark navy paint and the white paint and stir it up. And now you have a very pale pale, like maybe baby blue. Then you put a little bit more in. Now you have more of a blue, sky blue. Put a little bit more in. So it's all shading. So sometimes you're going to put a little more chest voice into that upper head voice or up into the upper falsetto voice. Or sometimes you're going to put more of the high voice into the lower voice. But you've got to find that perfect way of blending the two before you can even really start talking about the 50, 50, 60, 40, whatever, whatever the combination is. Yeah, I find, and I'm assuming I won't be alone in this, but some listeners will find this as well, that for me, a lot of times it winds up being like, okay, a couple of drops of the dark blue into the white, okay, a little bit more, and then, oh, we just dumped the entire can, and now there's just paint everywhere. Like, it always goes from a little bit to a whole lot very quickly, and it's challenging to really um, expand the middle ground. Yeah, once again... And this isn't for everybody, but for most people, starting out in a very, very quiet place is the key to doing Mm. it. So if you're like doing a slide, so that until you can do that all the way up and down effortlessly, easily, quietly, you really shouldn't go on from there. You know, you really Mm -hmm. have to get that locked in. And then, then you go okay, yeah, well, that feels pretty easy. That wasn't so hard. I went all the way up smoothly. There was no change. Then you might start wee, 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 wee. So then you start doing it there so that the 
vocalizing on notes is almost like a slide. You're almost mm-hmm. sliding through instead of singing wee 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 wee. I'm kind of sliding now through the notes. I'm not even really wee wee wee. Right, getting right. them to, and then you start from there. Do you typically start on e like on a closed vowel um, when you're warming up? Um, sometimes I do. Depends on the person. I experiment sure. on every single vowel and see which one works for them. And you know, you just never know. It depends on what the person's past is, what their body type is like, their physiology, all of that, what they have. Some people just have it in their head. Well, E's the hardest one. I just tense up on E. <laughs> so there's no point in starting there because that's where they've... Right, right. Even if there is, it's a false kind of thinking or it's just a thing that got caught in their head, I don't want to mess with that. I want to start with what they can do best most easily, and then move from there. So yes, I like starting on oohs and e's, but some people, they'll say, oh, that feels a little hard. Or I'll ask them, how does that feel? And I'll give them a choice. Let's try it on e. Let's Hmm. try it on o. Which one's better? And if they say o, I go, oh, okay. O's and o's are the way to start with this person, not e's and oohs. You see what I mean? Totally makes sense. And so what I try to do is really think about what that person needs. And I mean, I feel like it's that that way for coaching for anything in life. If you're Mm -hmm. coaching someone dancing, don't start with a move they can't do. Don't start with something that they're weak. Start with their strength. And then you gradually build into the other aspects or a sports coach. Yeah, so much. I mean, it it totally makes sense to me that so much of what you do depends on how it's going in the lesson and, and how the student is doing. A lot of people now learn singing online. Like there's so many YouTube videos where people will, or who are amazing teachers will tell you how to sing or give you tips. There are so many courses you can buy where you download them and you just go through the videos and it's not actually a one-on-one lesson or maybe you get one one-on-one lesson, but it's largely sort of non-interactive. What do you think about that method of learning to sing? Like how important is it to get that one-on-one uh, coaching? Well, you know, to be honest with you, I have not really delved in and seen what's online. I, well, I, there's so I, much. I, this, <laughs> yeah, I, I've just never been that person. I never had an Instagram, a Facebook, a Twitter account, or anything till now. You're living your best life, Eric. I'm, well, I'm, but now they're like, <laughs> you really should do this for the podcast. I guess I'm like, so. I don't know. All right, I'll do it, but I don't know what I'm doing. Um, I've never done that. And so I've missed out on a lot of what's going on, but I've never felt like it was necessary for me. Um, so what I would say is that the tricky part of learning anything like that is it would be like learning, you know, a, a, taking a dance class like that or like a gymnastics class or whatever. You really should have a pair of eyes and ears on you to hear mm-hmm. what's going on because that person then can identify oh, you're doing it correctly or you're not doing it correctly or this is what you need to do or that's what you need to do. So it is definitely preferable to actually have a teacher. That being said, not everybody can find one. Not everybody has the time. Not everybody has the money. Not everybody has one in the area they live in. So for those people, what I would say is record yourself, listen to yourself. I mean, we're living Mm. in the best possible time where everybody's phone has voice memo on it. You know, everybody can record themselves on their phone or their iPad or their tablet or their laptop, whatever. So I would say, listen to what the person's teaching, then record yourself and listen to yourself. Does it sound right? Does it sound good? Does it sound like what they were talking about? And did it feel comfortable? Does it feel easy? You see what I mean? Mm -hmm. And that's what I would say. So 
I think there is a way of doing that and you can learn probably a lot from it, but you just have to be careful with it. But I would encourage people if they have the opportunity, even if they just go once in a while, try to find someone who is who knows what they're doing, who is a professional teacher, mm-hmm. to listen to you, to at least make sure that you're guided with the guidance that you are doing it correctly. Yeah, I find there's a specific challenge with singing in that, like, I play a bunch of instruments and I'll just go watch amazing guitar players on YouTube. You can really learn a lot from those videos because they're showing you exactly what they're doing, where with singing, it's also invisible because it's inside of your body. It's just much more challenging. Do you find, I've always found that singing requires so much metaphor, like requires me to communicate so much more in metaphor. This is like that. This is like that, you know, describing the voice in all these different ways. Do you approach uh, vocal teaching in that way too, with a lot of metaphor to describe what's happening? Once again, it's on an individual basis, you know, so that if I use a metaphor with someone and I can see it usually in their eyes that it clicks Mm. or I can hear it in their voice, then I go, oh, that's a good one for this person. But you have to be careful with that because different people, different terms or adjectives mean something different Mm -hmm. to different people. You know, I had a girl years ago, this is just one example, who called me in a panic. This was a long, long time ago. And she had gotten cast in the musical A Chorus Line. And the part she was doing, Maggie, has to belt to a high E. Or or the director said to her, can you belt to a high E? And she said, yes, I can. Because she just (laughs) wanted to do it so badly. Mm -hmm. And then she called me in a panic and went, I don't know why I was said that. I can't belt to a high E. That's insane, (laughs) right? I said, well, come over and let's work on it and let's figure this out. And what we were able to do is get her to mix that high E so it sounded like a very strong, full voice, but it wasn't flipping into her soprano head voice, Mm -hmm. which would have a different tonal quality and perhaps even a slightly different vibrato. Um, but it wasn't dragging up her chest voice to the high E. And I said, this is what he's talking about. He's using the term belt because that's what he's heard before. The, oh, she's belting it out. Mm-hmm. But the truth is what he doesn't want is a high soprano voice. He doesn't want you to all of a sudden sound like you're Laurie in Oklahoma or whatever. Right. He doesn't want that. He wants it to sound like it's your full voice, but it doesn't have to be your full chest voice. And sure enough, she got to rehearsal. She still was nervous. She said, I have to believe you, but I'm still scared. But anyway, <laughs> she went and she called me and said, you're absolutely right. He said, oh my God, you're doing a great job. I love it. So Different terms mean different things to different people. And you have to figure out with each person you're working with what affects them or what kind of verbiage is going to affect them in a good or bad way. Yeah, that makes sense. My voice coach is constantly using different metaphors and we're always trying to find the ones that work. But that is true. There are some that work and don't. Like the word pressure, I think, means something different to me than it does to some other singers. Like when talking about air pressure, I could see Mm -hmm. that being like it could be loaded for one person or actually the perfect thing for another person. For someone, they go, oh yeah, I need that air pressure to keep the air flowing out of my Mm -hmm. vocal cords. So that's a very important thing. To someone else, they might think of it as tension, pressure in their throat, which you don't want. Mm -hmm. So yeah, each person you have to, it's so individual. I, I mean, I can't stress that enough. What is the key to maintaining your voice as you get older? Well, it's the same as maintaining your voice when you're younger, performing Mm. and touring all the time. It's always finding that correct placement. It's always keeping the breath support going. It's sometimes adjusting. It might mean adjusting keys a little bit Mm -hmm. on certain songs. It might be changing the order in a set where a certain song might help tee off the next song, whereas 
a certain order might do just the opposite. They might be so worn out by this song, they can't do the song mm-hmm. right after as well. So I always say you got to consider these things as you get older. Sometimes you need a little more sleep, sometimes a little more rest, um, sometimes even a little bit more warming up. And again, that's also a loaded question though, because <laughs> I can't answer how long should your warm up be unless I really know you and have worked with you. Some people need a very short warm up. Some people need a long warm up. I was working with someone in their 60s who was doing a big show uh, five nights a week and they needed that full hour warm up. Hmm. And then if they did the full hour warm up, they got on stage, they sounded their best, then they would do a short cool down or warm down as some people like to call them mm-hmm. after the show and they were fine, never lost their voice at all. It was great. But then that might be too much warming up for somebody else. So you mm-hmm. have to experiment to figure out what's going to work best for you. That's why I get scared when a teacher is like, I teach the such and such technique. Right. And and if they are using those same exercises that that technique calls for on every single student, it's just not going to work. And I learned that when I played the piano, you know, when I was in my early 20s, like even like 20, 21, 22, I used to play for voice teachers. That's how I learned so much because I... It was like me having a class with a voice teacher, just oh, hearing nice. them. Oh, nice. You're like in the room with them, sure. Yeah. So I was getting paid to play and I was learning. It was a <laughs> it was a win-win-win. Taking notes as you, as you Yeah. Were oh my God. A million mental notes. And mm. what I realized is there were teachers who stuck to one technique and that meant some of their students excelled and some did not. Mm. Some just didn't do well. The teachers who were the most flexible, listening to what the person needed, they were the ones that had the highest level of success with their students. That totally makes sense. So you're a podcaster now. How are you liking it? How are you liking recording a podcast? You know, I have to say, I'm really enjoying it. It's pretty fun, right? I've had a blast. Yeah, I really like it. You know, I've always been such a private person, and I always felt that that was something special that my students appreciated, that I wasn't tweeting out things about them or, oh, here's my picture with so-and-so at this event or whatever. And so I always felt that they liked that. There was always a little voice in me that went, Gee, I wish people could hear a little bit of what we're doing because I think it would be helpful. Sure. And and like I said, you know, especially people that are in parts of the world where they 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 don't have the voice teacher who's worked with someone who's really living it, you know, performing on a nightly mm-hmm. basis. Because there's such a difference knowing, you know, someone doing a 120-city tour all over the world. Yeah. That's different than someone who sings once a month at I don't know, a certain club or whatever, you know, you, and so, but most people aren't going to have access to people who can help them like that. So I used to think, I wish people, and I mentioned it to someone and they were like, well, Michael Lewis, who I was Mm. on his podcast and he was the one who said, Eric, you need to do a podcast. People need to (laughs) listen to these things. People need to hear it. And that's kind of what convinced me. And the other thing was that I went to some of the people like Ariana, Camila, Sean, a few of the people, John Legend and And I said, what do you think about this, me doing this? And they were all like, I'm in. And boy, do I wish I had something like this when I was younger. And that's really what I needed to hear. And I thought, oh, yeah, it's not about me. This has nothing to do with me. This is about information. And when they hear it from people they might really like or hear on the radio or hear, you know, listen to me on the radio. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I say that kind of thing too sometimes. (laughs) Um, You know, when they hear these people or see these people perform and they go, wow, they've reached a very high level performance. You don't get higher than the Grammy Awards really for a music show, you know, and so, or any of these great, you know, shows, award shows and things. And I thought, oh, if they hear these people talking about, they're going to go, 
Well, if they're doing it, then I want to do it too. Mm. If they're warming up, I'm going to warm up. Nice. If they're working it for, if they're eating these certain foods, then I'm going to do it. You see what I mean? For sure. So I feel like I'm making a big deposit in the karma bank, the big karma bank in the sky. <laughs> that's a good way to think of it. <laughs> yeah, that's how I look at it. Do you find that you're taking care of your own voice in a different way now that you have to be a podcaster and be recording? Well, sadly, I wish I did it all the time, Kirk, and I don't. And I really should. <laughs> like today, I did not do it. I know. You sound um, pretty good to me. It's hard because I'm teaching all day. And when you're teaching, you're demonstrating. Don't do it like this. Do it like this. Oh, mm. you gasped like this. Don't do that. So you're showing them what sounds bad, which is not so great for yourself sure. to hear it. Then I'm using my voice constantly. And then on top of that, I'm having meetings that I would have never had before talking to mm -hmm. the people I'm working with on the podcast. Then I am recording the podcast. So... And I'm sleeping a lot less because I have so much more to do. And so I do all my paperwork and everything. You know, I'll, I was up till like, I don't know, one thirty last night. Mm -hmm. I was I was like, wow, I'm behind on everything. I'm behind on email. I'm behind on invoicing. I'm behind on everything. So I thought, well, I'm going to go I, until I drop. And so I just kept going. So sadly, I haven't been taking my own advice, but I'm going to start because I need to. <laughs> it's interesting. It's like you're living the life sort of closer the, to the physical realities of someone on tour. You're having to use your voice so much that you have yeah. to really follow your own advice. But I always find when anything like that happens, I always go, what is, what is the greater good in all of this? Like, what am I learning from this? And I go, well, I'm learning to have a lot of empathy when people do say, like you said, but those are things I love. Mm -hmm. You're taking away something I might love to eat, or I like staying up with my girlfriend, my boyfriend, my this, my that. You know, watching an old movie, and you're telling me I shouldn't because I need a lot of sleep. So it's given me a lot of empathy to understand that. I think I always had a great deal, but I think I have even more now. <laughs> I still am going to encourage them to do the right thing. Of course. But I also try not to be judgmental and just go, yeah, I know. I get it. It's hard. Nice. Well, at the end of interviews, I always ask people for three albums they've been listening to. We're going to do something a little bit different, though. I was going to ask you for three songs from each of the three singers that have so far had episodes of your show, at least as of recording this. So that's Ariana Grande, Shawn Mendes, and John Legend. So is there one song for each of these singers that's sort of emblematic of their voice or their singing style or where they do something that you really think uh, is amazing? Yeah, it's hard to pick just one, but sure. I would say with Ariana, I would definitely say her song Imagine because she mm. at one point starts so low and then goes so high. I mean, when you think she's gone to the highest note, she goes higher. <laughs> and then you go, oh, okay, there she is. In her yeah, then yeah. all of a sudden she goes into that crazy whistle register and it's it's unhuman, unworldly, unwhatever. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's so amazing that she can do that. So I always say, you know, that's a really good song to listen to her do. But, you know, I would say other things because I love the way she belts out Dangerous Woman. She really gives a lot on that. Or even she does a live version of God is a Woman where she actually sings at one point arched over the table upside down. 
you know? I mean, right. how many people can do that and right. sound good? Make it even harder than it yeah. needs to be to sing this And stuff. I mean, with John Legend, I always go to, it's it's kind of the cliche, but I so love his song, um, All of Me. I think mm-hmm. it's so beautiful that the song, the chords that he uses, even how he talks about how he, they created him and Toby Gad, who co-wrote it with him, that they simplified the intro, so then it breaks into the arpeggiated version in the chorus. To me, I give my all to you. You're my end and my beginning. Even when I lose, I'm winning. Cause I give you all of me. And you give me all of you. I think that song is so beautiful. If you were watching him live, I would say watch him at the inauguration this year because you could see the breath come out. He doesn't lip sync. He's singing it live outside. It's cold. You can see the breath in his air and his voice sounds beautiful. He Mm -hmm. sounds amazing. So I would say watch that. It's not a recording. It's a live video, but I would watch that. With Sean, there's a couple. I mean, some of my favorites, I I love when he sings uh, uh, Japan. Is it Lost in Japan? Oh my God, I just forgot the name of the song. But A Lost in Japan, I really love. And I also love um, There's Nothing Holding Me Back. I feel like, to me, that song is so representative of who Sean is as a person that he has all the things that all of us have, you know, in his head. This is hard. I'm having a harder day. Maybe he has a little anxiety about something or whatever. He talks about it all in the podcast. But he always sails above it. He always makes it through. And so for me, that song so speaks to who he is that I I love that. And I feel like you can really hear his heart in it. But you can also hear how, you know, uh, how emotionally is like in a song like Mercy. I love when he sings Mercy. I love hearing him do that. And then my favorite of his is Perfectly Wrong. I think Mm. that is so beautiful. And he did a live version of that. I guess it was James Corden that you could watch. James Corden show, Perfectly Wrong. It's so beautiful. Nice. And his voice sounds so pretty. And he's, yeah, you can see he's just lost in the song. He's not trying to sound good. He's just singing it from his heart. And that's what makes it so beautiful. You're perfectly wrong for me And that's why it's so hard to leave Oh, you're perfectly wrong for me Oh, you're perfectly wrong for me All the stars in the sky could see Why you're perfectly wrong for me Oh, you know how much it hurts Yeah, man, nice, all right well, hey, this was a lot of fun. Um, good luck with Backstage Pass. I will definitely be listening. Eric Vitro, thanks so much for coming on the show. Well, thank you. And thanks. And I have to just mention to you, you have a great speaking voice, by the way. <laughs> I, I was going to say that from hearing you on your own podcast, it's very musical. You use a really wide pitch range, you know? Oh, man. And you have well. a lot of dynamics to your voice, and it's really well-placed. And what I like the most about it is it's nice listening to you. I feel like when I'm listening to your podcast, I'm listening to a friend talk to me and i love that feeling it just it doesn't feel like you're hitting me over the head with anything it feels like you're sharing information and i love that so. oh man well thank you so much that uh, makes my day to hear it so cheers thanks Eric. oh good well it's so great to meet you yeah you too all right take care 
Well, that was pretty cool. I'm just gonna email that to my mom really quick. Okay, that'll do it for my chat with the great Eric Vitro, vocal instructor to the stars. I hope you enjoyed it and that you'll check out his new podcast, Backstage Pass. It really is very cool. I put a link to it in the show notes. It's super easy to find. You can listen to it wherever you're listening to strong songs. That'll do it for now. I hope you're all taking care out there. And to all you singers out there, I hope your placement is perfect and your high notes never feel forced. See you next week when I will be back to wrap up year three of Strong Songs. Mm-hmm.